Revelation chapter 13. Let me warn you, we're not going to get far. Alright, we're going verse by verse through Revelation on Sunday night. And uh, we're definitely not going to get far tonight. I'm going to give you what I got. And uh, I'm going to try to lay out the groundwork for you uh, as well as I can to give you a good grasp of this. This stuff is not necessarily hard to understand, but it can be hard to believe. Did you hear me? Your Bible is not hard to understand. God said what He meant and meant what He said. <laughs> so you just believe it like God said it, and you'll be all right. The problem is the Bible will challenge your theology. I am fine with God challenging my theology, aren't you? As long as I know it's God challenging my theology. Uh, I'm fine with correcting my theology by the Bible, aren't you? <laughs> I know that's pretty funny, isn't it? It's kind of almost silly when you stop and you put it in those terms. It's like, duh. Well, I don't know. You go to church all over this country nowadays. Uh, you could go today, and you're going to get all kinds of stuff that ain't Bible. So we open up our Bible here, and we let the Bible be the authority. Uh, what you have in front of you is the inerrant, infallible, inspired, preserved words of God. People say all the time, are you an inspired guy or a preserved guy? Yep. <laughs> What does that mean? You, you, are you, do you believe it's inspired or preserved? Hmm? Oh, it was inspired in the originals. Well, if it was inspired in the originals and God promised He'd preserve it, what do you have? A copy of the preserved, inspired words. So don't make a mountain out of a molehill, stupid. I mean, I mean, genius. I mean, it's the theologians that do that to you. You never, had, you never had doubt in your Bible. You open it up and it speaks to you. It tells you you're a sinner and you get that. That makes a lot of sense. And it tells you you got no way of making it. It tells you your good works can't outweigh your... But you got no problem with your Bible. It's once some guy that doesn't believe the Bible but makes his living off of it. Gets in the pulpit and starts undermining the Bible or apologizing for the Bible or tiptoeing around the Bible and trying to soften the punch because he doesn't want to offend you because he wants your money. That's where you start losing confidence in your Bible. Your Bible is an amazing book. And what the devil wants is he wants to get you to doubt your Bible. He wants to get you to not believe it. He wants to twist it and pervert it so that you can't find out what God has for you in that book. And one of the things he does not want you to know is he does not want you to know anything about him. Sun Tzu in The Art of War told you, and one of the best books ever, they still use it in in high levels of military. It's one of the greatest books ever written on The Art of War. You got to know your enemy and you got to know yourself. If you only know one of the two, you got a 50-50 chance. If you know them both, you got a real good chance of making it in the fight. And if you know neither, you're dead. <laughs> so you better know yourself. The Bible will show you you. And the other thing God of the Bible will do is it will show you your adversary. The Bible says we're not ignorant of his devices. God spells it out for you. He tells him that Satan is the God of this world. We talked about it this morning. It says he's the king over all the children of pride. Now, I don't mean to jump on a hobby horse again, but what do you see going on in our culture nowadays? They label their sin under the banner of pride. And then they take a rainbow, which is God's promise not to drown them out for the very sins they're committing, and they flaunt it in God's face. Well, where do you think that stuff's coming from? It's coming from the God of this world's running the show. It's obvious if you look around and notice. It's Satan running the show right now. Now, when you get over here to Revelation chapter 13 and verse number 1, you got something popping up here that's obviously connected with the devil, but if you compare it to chapter 12, verse 3, you're going to find out it's something that's a little different than the devil. It's a wild thing, and what you're going to get in tonight is deep cotton. I mean, this is some really, really tough stuff, okay? 
So if you're first time here tonight, I apologize, but it is what it is, and this is where we're at, and I hope the Lord gives you something that will help you out a little bit. First thing I want you to notice is what chapter are you in? What's 13 the number of? Hmm. Look at the first 13, 13 in the Word of God. Go to Genesis 13, 13. I want you to get this point, and here's why I want you to get the point. I want you to get the point because they try to tell you, well, the words are inspired, but the chapter and verse markings aren't, and the order of the books don't matter, and all the rest of that stuff. You ain't seen a bigger mess than the mess I got when I got to Bible college, when I went with my Bible, believing my Bible, going to Bible college, thinking that the Bible college professors were going to teach me the Bible. And then I found out when I got to the Bible college, because I believed the Bible and God called me to preach the Bible, and I thought I was going to learn the Bible at Bible college, that my Bible college professors that were told, supposed to teach me the Bible that I was supposed to preach. Did you follow all that? <laughs> I'm making a point. Not just being funny, I'm making a point. Didn't even believe the Bible they were supposed to be teaching me. Now, I'm not the smartest guy ever, but I'm not an idiot either. I might not know what it is, but I sure enough know what it ain't. And I'm like, that guy don't believe that book. And he takes the Bible and tries to lay it out in chronological order and says, well, really, the order of the books doesn't really matter. Well, you either believe God inspired and preserved the book in your lap or you believe he didn't. You either believe what you have in your lap is the divine hand of God to give you the only light you've got right now. God ain't speaking by signs and wonders and miracles. We're going to see it in Revelation chapter 13. Satan can use signs and wonders and does use signs, wonders, and miracles and speaks in tongues. Satan does. The Antichrist does. You're going to put your faith in that? I think I need a little more than that. I need something pretty solid. God gave me a book so I can study that book. And he promised he'd preserve it. And as I study it and try to find error with it and look at it and run the references, I find that this Bible always stands up to scrutiny. Even the chapter and verse markings have got stuff in them that you don't even know they're there unless you let the Holy Spirit of God teach you the Bible. You're in the number of rebellion, Genesis 13. Look at verse 13. But the men of Sodom were more wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. <laughs> They're sodomites. 13, 13. They're wicked. They're rebellious. They're sinners exceedingly before God. You think there's no significance to the number 13? You go to the King James Bible, you pull up Revelation chapter 13. And what you got in Revelation chapter 13 is God spells out for you the unholy trinity. I'm going to show you the Antichrist. Now, we're going to have to take our time and, and, and discern this. If you go to Revelation chapter 13... The word beast shows up in verse 1, in verse 2, in verse 3, three times in verse 4, in verse 11, in verse 12 twice, in verse 14 twice, in verse 15 three times, in verse 17 once, in verse 18 once. So Revelation chapter 13, which is the number of rebellion, and in verse number 18, it spells out for you who the beast is, and in verse number 18, it talks about the mark of the beast. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. You see that? The beast is a man. But that's not all. We'll look at it. We'll run the references. But that's not all this thing is. What you're dealing with here is something that is supernaturally powerful. Something that transcends the natural. Something that is 
actually frightening in its power. For is the number of a man and his number is six hundred three score. What's a score? It's twenty, right? A score is twenty in the Bible. So what's three score? And what? Six hundred three score and six. It's six six six. What verse are you in of Revelation chapter thirteen? <laughs> You're right. What's eighteen? Six six and six. I know, it's just a coincidence, though. You know, there's nothing about the chapter and verse markings that have anything to do with the hand of God on them. All right, Revelation 13, verse 1. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea. That's weird. So he's standing upon the sand of the Mediterranean Sea. That's where John's at, remember? He's in the Isle of Patmos. And he gets caught up and he's seeing all this stuff. And God has him stand on the sand of the sea and he sees a beast rising up out of the sea. And this beast has seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the names of blasphemy. Now, do you see how close that is to the beast of Revelation chapter 12, verse 3? Look back there. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon. So this one's a dragon. This one in 13, one is a beast. But the dragon in 12, 3... And that red dragon has seven heads and ten horns, and the seven crowns are where? On his heads. So he's very similar to the beast in Revelation 13.1, but he's not exactly the same. Because the one in Revelation 13.1, we'll get to it in just a minute, is not a dragon. This one's a leopard. And it's a leopard with feet of a bear and the mouth of a lion. So it's not the same thing. But it's very similar to the one in 12.3. This one's the Antichrist. And notice he's coming up out of the sea. Go back to Job chapter 41. We've looked at this a couple of times recently, but we're going to look at it again tonight. Job chapter number 41. It's important for you to know your enemy. The number one enemy you got, the world, the flesh, and the devil... Probably the biggest problem that you and I will deal with is the flesh. Did you hear me? Probably the biggest problem that you and I will deal with in our Christian life is not the devil. It's probably you. (laughs) Your flesh. But once you submit that flesh to God and get it under control, have you ever noticed the world starts pushing back on you? Funny to me how some of you, and I know your stories, you get right with God and you get things squared away and God gives you a little bit of light and you take some next steps in your Christian life that you didn't want to take. You make big decisions and you, and you literally, literally could have changed the course of your life and you do it because you're like, you know what, I need to be in that church where the Bible's preached and the Bible's taught. And, and one of the first things that come after you is what? Other people. They start trying to push back on you. Oh, you're in a cult. Oh, I can't believe it. Your preacher preaches too hard. Oh, he's this, he's that. Oh, why are you do- what are you doing over there? Are you crazy? You're throwing away your life. And the world starts pushing back on you. And you start running into problems with people. T- telling you that you're a hate monger or whatever else. Ain't that funny? That's proof you're doing the right thing. Your flesh ain't going to like it. And the world's going to push back on you. And if you make it through those two, if you stay straight through those two, the devil will try to discourage you and come after you. That's the hard part about growing spiritually. You know, you pass the little test, which is the flesh. Yeah, if you call that a little test. 
And then you pass the second test, which is peer pressure and the way other people look at you and what they're going to say and what they're going to think and all the rest of that stuff. And you get over that, you man up, you grow up, you become a, a grown man or a grown woman and you go, you know what, it doesn't matter what they say or think, it matters what God thinks, I'm going to serve God. I want God to be in control of my life, I want to draw closer to Jesus Christ, I want my life to amount to something for Jesus Christ. And you make that decision, they push against you, you get past that one. And then the devil says, all right, I got something for you. And he presents it to God. And God either says yes or no. One of the craziest things I feel like my preacher ever said was in an extremely dark moment of his life. And I would never overstep to say the darkest, but I could imagine it was probably the darkest or one of the darkest moments ever in his life. And he said, well, brother, nothing comes to us. It doesn't cross God's desk first, so he must have signed off on it. To have that attitude toward God when God's allowing the devil to do something to you that's wrecking your life from the way you see it and sit back and say, well, God must have signed off on it, so it is what it is. I'm going to just wait it out. God knows. That to me is some pretty serious spirituality how I see it. I see that as some pretty deep spirituality. I sure hope I can get there someday, but I don't want to. (laughs) I want to, but I don't want to. Do you understand what I'm saying? you got a serious adversary out there. And nothing could be more important than what? I said it a thousand times, you know it. Your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what's going to get you through. Look at your enemy, Job 41. Canst thou draw Leviathan with a hook? We talked about this before. Yeah, it's a crocodile. It's hilarious. It's hilarious what these theologians, man. You know what the problem is? They don't read their Bible and believe what they read. They don't run the references on the word Leviathan and find it. The Lord pierces Leviathan, that great and dreadful serpent, with his sword. They're not looking through the the prophets and seeing Leviathan defined in the Bible. Oh, it's a crocodile. It's a great fish. You lost your mind, man. You got deceived by the devil because you don't believe the Bible God gave you. Leviathan's the devil, and look at where he is. Can you draw him out with a hook? He's in the sea. Or his tongue with a cord which thou lettest down. Again, thou put a hook in his, into his nose or bore his jaw through with a thorn. Will he make uh, many supplications unto thee? He prays to God. Will he speak soft words unto thee? He prays to God and speaks softly to God. <laughs> you ever hear some of these religious buffoons pray? Our Father, we're taught in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Even though Jesus said not to pray with vain repetitions as the heathen do. You know, the devil can pray like that and sound really spiritual. So many of you have prayed in front of me when you got saved. And you always look up because I'm the preacher and you're like, I, I think I said it right. I don't know. I'm not really I got uncomfortable. I think that I say the right things. And that's what I like to see. I like to see you stumbling all over yourself and saying it all wrong and getting it all messed up and getting all nervous and just telling God the best you know how. What you want to tell God, that's your first step of actually truly getting a hold of God for the first time in your life. Like God needs you to be flowery and smooth and beautiful for Him to understand what your heart is saying to Him. Come on, what kind of God is that? Oh, you didn't say that spiritual enough. I don't know how to pray. You're the perfect candidate to pray. 
God, I don't know how to do this, but I'm just going to try to tell you what I need to tell you and help me and do this and do that. And everything's doctrinally wrong that you're saying. And you're a complete soup sandwich. If you, somebody's sitting around that knows their Bible and can quote all kinds of verses, but all you're doing is trying to talk to God. And God's like, yeah, I know what you mean. Gotcha, bud. But Lucifer, you know, he's smooth. Will he make a covenant with thee? He's making deals. Wilt thou take him for a servant forever? Wilt thou play with him as with a bird? Or wilt thou bind him for thy maidens? You know what God does with him? You're talking about the devil, and I hate doing it, but we're going through Revelation, and we're doing it from a biblical perspective. It's the only safe way to study the subject, not YouTube or anything else. Do you hear me? It's not safe. You study it from the Bible, and you let God tell you, and you learn from the Bible what God needs to show you about your enemy. You know what God says about him? God says that God plays with him. God, God manipulates him. God uses him for a purpose. We'll see it as we're going through Revelation, uh, Romans. God will use him for a purpose. Ain't that wild? The devil's doing this to me. Don't worry about that. You don't know that for sure anyhow. You're guessing. All you need to do is walk with the Lord. Just draw nigh to him and he'll draw nigh to you. Cast all your care upon him. for he, I think the devil's giving me a hard time. Relax, man. Breathe. And you know, it's out your mouth. You're going to live. Devils are coming after me. Chill out. <laughs> are you saved? Are you God's? Are you? <laughs> Y'all look at me like, are you God's? Then relax. Just draw close to God and stop worrying about it. Lay thy hand upon him. Remember the battle. Do no more. Don't get obsessed with this stuff, man. People call me all the time. Not all the time. Fairly often it happens here and there, you know. Uh, you, uh, can you cast out devils? <laughs> no. I think my brother-in-law is devil-possessed. Yeah, mine are too. You know what I mean? Like, I, mean, you know, I think my wife's possessed. Like, okay, whatever. You're probably the possessed one, but whatever. What do you, like, no? I'll be glad to talk to them, though. Oh, be careful. I think they got devils. Like, yeah, more people than them probably do. Just don't worry about it. You know what I tell them? There's only one that can take care of you. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you really want a relationship with him? Sometimes they're not. Sometimes they just need some meds, you know what I mean? <laughs> That's reality. It's not a devil at all. You don't know. Don't, don't, don't get in higher than what your pay grade is. Amen. And this is all higher than our pay grade. But it ain't higher than God's. He plays with them like he's nothing. He binds them for his maidens. Verse 6, shall the companions make a banquet of him? I showed you that already. How God's going to smite that head? We'll look at it again. And he feeds the children of Israel in the, in the tribulation period with one of his heads as manna. Shall they part them of him among the merchants? Canst thou fill his skin with barbed irons or his head with fish spears? Lay thine hand upon him. See it. Remember the battle. Do no more. Why? Because he's got power. Behold, the hope of him is in vain. Shall not one be cast down even at the sight of him? None is so fierce that dare stir him up. Who is then able to stand before me? Now, we've already studied this, so we're not going to go all the way down through this chapter, but I want you to get the picture that he is aquatic. Look over at uh, verse number 34. He beholdeth all high things. He is king over all the children of what? Go to the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 1. He's king over all the children of pride. What did we preach on this morning? Yeah, you know what the devil wants to get into each and every one of us? He wants to provoke our pride. He wants us to get stubborn against God, rebellious against the Lord, and, 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 and push back because of our pride. 
That's what got him. You know what he, you know what the Bible warns the preacher about? It says, not a novice, let's be lifted up with. So what's up with these preachers? Now, seriously, I'm, I'm trying not to get on hobby horses, you guys. I'm really trying. But I'm sick of watching stuff get in your heads and stuff get in the heads of people you're witnessing to and trying to reach. So I'm trying to give you some, some pointers to help try to reach people. Do you understand that? So be careful about how you go about it. Be gentle and go slow, but try to reach people. What is up with these churches and these preachers that get their hooks into everybody? How do they do it? We need help. We need you to serve. You need to serve. You need to serve. We need to serve. We need leaders. We need small group leaders. We need leaders. Everybody's a leader. We all are in charge of something. That's a manipulation. It's a sales pitch. That's what that is. I was telling Rob today, I was like, it's amazing. You know, we probably, uh, I don't know, Jim, we'll, we'll, uh, I'll get it from Jim soon, but probably right around 150 in membership now, actual members of the church. We got a few more uh, to, talking about joining, and, and I'm sure if everybody that's talking about joining, we're going to be over 150. I'm sure of that. So I think we're already right there. I told him, I said, I'm nowhere near, because somebody said somebody wants to talk to you, but they don't want to bother you because they know you're busy, so come talk to me. And um, you know who you are, sitting back there in the sound booth, hiding from me, about the cameras. Yeah, you. He said, I don't want to bother preachers, so he's asking Rob. I know he's busy. A lot of people want to talk to him lately. I said, Rob, I'm nowhere near, I'm nowhere near my maximum level. I'm not like so stressed out. I love it. I think it's great. I'm glad to see the church growing. I love talking to people. I love answering the questions. I love fielding the phone calls. I love the, I love the meetings. I love all the Bible people walking up to me with lists of Bible questions. I love it. I'm nowhere near like, you know, can't take it anymore. Guess what? It'd be real easy if I could be like that preacher that said his church got so big uh, and there was so much going on and he had so much structure to the church. He had so many people doing so many things that he was, you know, everybody was, they, the book sales were through the roof. Companies were reaching out to him to publish his books and to publish his sermons and sell them. And, uh, you know, America's pastor, considered the greatest pastor in America. And all this stuff's going on. He's got this massive growing church and everybody's in charge of something. The administration level was genius, genius. I mean, the guy's absolutely, he should be a CEO of a Fortune 500 company the way he can administrate and organize and his great charismatic personality. And what he didn't tell him is that he was so stressed out, he became a closet drunk. He was driving to the other side of town, putting on his hoodie to go into the party store to grab a big old, big old can of beer and finding a parking lot somewhere to sit in and to hammer that beer real quick to take the edge off the pressure that was on him because all of his under-shepherds in the church and the preachers were fighting with each other and fighting with him and the heads of all the different ministries were fighting for more of the budget for their ministry and everybody's ministry was the most important ministry and they're all squabbling and fighting. And he said, from the outside it looked great and from the inside what I knew was everything was falling apart and I was trying not to lose my mind because of the financial pressure and trying to put out the fires between everybody and calm everybody down. Hey, genius. Why are you putting up off? Listen to me. If I want to go get drunk, I can't. Because the day that I do that, my phone's going to ring and somebody's going to be in the hospital at 2 in the morning and I'm going to have to jump out of bed and run. Yep. Hey, hey, hey. Just go to it. It's pretty good. I can't want to pray like this. <laughs> 
You know what I'm doing? I'm coming to the smell. You, you understand what I'm saying? Uh, you got the thing so you got the thing so organized that you know when you're off work. I don't know when I'm off work. Sometimes I think I'm off work and my phone rings and there ain't nobody in charge of that department to take care of it. You're looking at them. Because you all got jobs. Now, if the church grows and keeps growing sooner or later, you know, we'll have to figure something out. Now, the Lord will show me when I'm hitting my limits so that I'm not able to do my job. We'll figure out what from there and God will guide and direct one step at a time. You understand the point I'm making? What is the deal with these churches that get you all plugged in and make everybody feel like everybody has to be running something? Why can't you come to church and sit down and say, God, feed me. God, teach me. We got probably five guys here that are definitely called to preach. You know what you're doing when you come faithfully and sit here and go and you take the opportunities that come up in the nursing home and the street and whatever else happens, pulpit supply? You know what you're doing? You're training for the ministry, the real ministry, not some kind of a corporate job. That's the way the devil works. Get everybody plugged in, running something, and telling other people what to do. I don't want 90 small groups going. How can, how can I even know what everybody is being taught? It is my responsibility before God to teach doctrine. I mean, do we not have a Bible and the instructions to a pastor? I'm going to answer to God for that. So i got small groups going on and somebody's in there that's doctrine is all the way out in left field from what the Bible teaches and what we believe and they're running their doctrine in the church. No wonder your church is falling apart, man. You fell prey to the devil and you appealed to everybody's pride. i got to feel important. i got to make sure everybody notices me. Okay, but that's the way your enemy works. That ain't the way God works. Ezekiel 1, look at verse 10. These are the cherubs in heaven. I want you to notice something about them. As for the likeness of their faces, they had, the four had the face of a man, number one. See it? The face of a lion, number two. The lion represents the animal kingdom, the untamed wild animal kingdom. Look at number three. On the right side, they four had the face of an ox on the left. What's an ox? That's the domestic animal kingdom, right? An ox you tame and you use to plow your gardens. And they four had the face of an eagle. There's the flying animals. You got humans. You got the wild animals. You got the domestic animals. You got the birds of flight. What's missing? Aquatic reptiles. Satan was the anointed what that covereth? You know what he was? He was that aquatic reptile. That's the kingdom he represents. You know what he is? He's a dragon. Job 41, we're getting down to it, but by his knee sings a light thus shine. He's a dragon. He's aquatic. Can you draw him out with a hook? He's foaming out his shame. I told you he goes up through outer space and he swims in the waters that are in the top of outer space. It ain't talking just about the waters on the earth. And he's breathing fire and he's like a dragon. And we ran the other references in the, in the major prophets where his sword, the sword of the Lord's, what pierces him. And he's telling you, you can't pierce his fins or his scales with a sword. You can't put a hook in him and pull him out. He's so powerful, it takes the sword of God, the sword of the Spirit, which is the... When Jesus Christ comes back at the advent, we'll see it here in a little while in Revelation, what comes out of his mouth? The sword. What's the name written on his thigh? It's the word of God. It's, it takes Jesus Christ to pierce him. That's where all your little fairy tales come from, where the guy with the sword pierces the dragon. 
They're pulling it out from the Bible and misapplying it. All right, go to the book of Daniel. We're thinking about this beast, Ezekiel and then Daniel. Go to your right. I want you to see what this beast is. Go to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. Look at verse 7. Daniel 7, 7. After this I saw in the night vision, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and strong, and strong exceedingly, and it had a great iron teeth. It devoured and brake in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it. And it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. See it? Verse 8, And I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were the eyes like the eyes of man, and a mouth speaking great things. What we reference this morning? The mouth of pride, the mouth of vanity, the Antichrist speaking great things and swelling words against the Lord. Look at verse eight, uh, verse 17. Daniel seven seventeen. These great beasts which are four are what? Well, there you go. What's the beast? I don't know. When you read some of the verses, you get really confused, don't you? It's really wild. So now how do we know? Now here's the question, because a lot of them will tell you, a lot of the, the, the books you look up, or if you look it up online, God help you, and all that stuff, a lot of the sources and the reference materials that you get are going to tell you, well, this is all an allegory. So how do I know, how do I know when I'm safe to say this is a picture, a type, and when it's not? When it's a picture or a type, God lets you know it is. When God wants to define it, He defines it for you. So you just got to study your Bible and you let the Bible speak. There, there's, no, there's no like or as. There's no this is a parable when it comes to the rich man in hell. They tell you it's a parable, it's a picture, it's a similitude. Where? You go read the whole chapter, you find one place that says anything about it being a similitude or it being a picture or it being a parable or like or as. None of that's there. There was a certain rich man and a certain beggar. The rich man died and the beggar died. The beggar wound up in Abraham's bosom. The rich man in hell being in torments. Nothing there says anything about it being a picture. It's a literal, real thing with named men. Now, you can be a biblical pervert if you want and twist that thing to make people happier, make the Bible fit your theology, but according to that book, that's a real, literal, visible place. And if you haven't trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, that's where you wind up. So, what's the Bible say about the beast? Well, verse 17 tells you these great beasts, which are four, are four kings, which arise out of the earth. They're men. Keep your finger here in Daniel because we're coming right back to Daniel 7 in a minute. Look back at Revelation chapter 17. Revelation chapter 17. I hope as you keep coming to church here that with time you see how to do this. I want you to be able to, my job is to equip the saints, right? I want you to be able to run into something that's messing you up and know, have the tools to know how to figure it out. And I'm always here to ask, trust me, not, not trying to stop that. What I'm saying is I want you to be able to figure it out. So the Bible tells us how to study the Bible. We're comparing Scripture with Scripture, and that's how we're coming up with what we know are accurate definitions of things. Revelation 17, 11, And the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth and is of the seven, and goeth into perdition. 
and the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings. They're men. Guess what else they are? Which have received no kingdom as yet, but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. Go back to Daniel, Daniel chapter 7. You kept that spot, right? Daniel chapter 7. Look at verse 23. Thus he said, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom. See it? Upon the earth, which shall be diverse from all kingdoms and shall devour the whole earth and shall tread it down and break it in pieces. And the ten horns out of, his, out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise. And another shall rise after them and they shall be diverse from the first and he shall subdue three kings. You guys, this, this beast represents a man, it represents kingdoms, and it represents something else. It represents the end times. That's in Daniel chapter 7, look at verse 25. The end of verse 25. Uh, we'll just read the whole thing. And he shall speak great words against the Most High. See, there it is again. And shall wear out the saints of the Most High. This is the Antichrist. He wants to wear out the saints. Hello? What spirit's already in the world according to, uh, was it First John? The spirit of what? And what's he want to do? Wear you out. Oh. Well, I don't know why. We, we need to do more. I don't think so. I think you're doing enough. You got a job? Good. If you don't have a job, get a job. God wrote a whole book on it, the book of Job. Right? I stole, you know who I stole that from. It's good, so I'm using it. Right? You're supposed to work. That should keep you busy. Some of you got a family. If you don't have a family, after your job, get a good, clean hobby that'll keep you out of trouble. Every young man that I ever get a chance to talk to, I always tell them, what do you do for fun? Sit around, read the Bible, and pray and fast. Okay, you're going to wind up in trouble. You don't understand yourself. Don't let your hobby take over and control your life and waste your time, but find some good, clean hobby that you just enjoy yourself. God hath given us all things that we may richly enjoy. You should enjoy your life. You should, you should take your kids to the park on Saturday if you've got little kids because you're going to blink twice and they're going to be engaged. You're going to be trying not to lose your mind. I mean, I mean you're going to be happy for them. <laughs> so you should take your kids to the park on Saturday. I've seen it, man. Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night visitation. We've got to have a Bible institute, and we've got to have a door knocking or, or whatever on Saturday, and we've got to have this, and we've got to have that, and we've got to have 57 ministries, and everybody's got to be in charge of something. Yeah, don't you think maybe the devil's trying to exhaust you? Why can't you come into church and sit down and get fed and get some tools you need to go home and enjoy your life, and build your family, and walk with God, and be in your Bible. Why can't you be faithful to come sit in church, and just support what God's already done? Isn't God doing something? Yeah, be thankful if you're not the pastor. Be thankful for that. I I love what I do, and I never want to do anything else. It's the greatest thing you could ever do, and if you're called to do it, don't you dare do anything else with your life, but let God put you in the ministry when God's ready, not a novice, so the devil don't destroy you. Wait on God and God will do it. If you love Him and you're willing to do anything He wants you to do, God will do it. He will do it. I promise you God will do it. So my preacher said, there will be plenty of opportunities. Relax. I couldn't do it. And I almost, I almost 
I almost ruined my life by ignoring his advice. But by the grace of God. So I'll spare you the gory details, but I didn't listen. The devil wants to wear you out. He'll push you faster than you're ready to go into something that is good in serving. Mom and dad, I love you and I'm not being a jerk right now. Do not be so shallow and foolish as to push your kids toward the mission field or ministry. Mama called and Papa sent, don't work. It might make your ego look good, but it ain't good for your kid. Never push your husband to be a preacher if God ain't called him to preach. Don't be so foolish. It's good preaching. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm serious. I've watched it. It'll hurt you. And the devil gets behind you and pushes you in a good thing faster than you're ready to go. Why can't you just relax and let God work and support something God's already doing? You know why I didn't start a Bible institute? I've got a lot of guys here that could actually teach the Bible. I don't need to. What's the point? People need to go somewhere to Bible school. Good, there's one down there at PBI that's been there for 40-something years or whatever it's been, maybe longer than that for all I know. And the guy that started it didn't want to start one. He didn't want to be a teacher. I doubt these guys that all want to be the head of a Bible institute. Kind of wonder what that's all about. He was like, no, I don't like teachers. I'm a preacher. World War II vet. He wakes up in the morning, if I remember the story right, some kid's sleeping on his front lawn waiting for him. (laughs) What are you doing here? Came down here to learn the Bible. God pushed him into it. And that's why it stood the test of time and put missionaries on the field all over the world and preachers in pulpits all over the country. Because God was in it. We need an online option. Yeah, there's a great one there. The guy that founded it is dead. God used him to found it. He was traveling all over the country preaching and his testimony went ahead of him and young men were sitting there getting called to preach. Listen to that guy preach and you couldn't hardly get your head together after you got done sitting there listening to him preach. Man, it was something that God was on it. And God used him to found one that was back then cassette tapes. It was Correspondence Institute. And he was sending it all over the country. She used to go in there and he paid her to duplicate the tapes because he got sick of duplicating the tapes. And so she's putting them in, putting in duplicators. You guys, some of you might not even know what tapes are. The little ones at least don't. <laughs> putting the tapes in there and binding them up. I will never forget it, man. We thought we were in there alone one day. We were newlyweds and he comes, he was the most mischievous guy you ever met in your life, man. He was crazy. We're sitting in there and I'm all harassing her and flirting with her and all this stuff. And I come out of the room while she's, leave me alone. I'm trying to work. Leave me my stop, my stop. You know, and I'm just messing with her, you know. And I, I come walking out. We're in his office because that's where the duplicator was. I come walking out and go past the treasurer's office to go into the men's bathroom. And I looked in there, and he's sitting there at the desk on the computer. Hey, Mike, how you doing? <laughs> he didn't look at me or nothing. I'm like, oh. I, turned, I could feel my face turn beet red. I went back in the office. He comes walking by as he's leaving. All right, y'all have fun. Take care. <laughs> so mischievous. Like, oh, did not happen. But then when he passed away, his best friend didn't ask for it. And the guy that was the pastor that took, out, took the place after him, Brother Wheeler, said, Hey, Brother Peacock, I think you're the one for this job. God had prepared him for it. He was a captain in Jacksonville Police Department. He already knew what it was to run a bunch of alpha men and have lots of alpha men answer to him. See, God did it. You understand what I'm saying? 
Why should I wear you out trying to make you come out here and do all that stuff? That's a trick of the devil is what it is. I'd rather hook up with something that's already got it. Those guys got it down. They've been teaching the Bible for years, decades. I'd like you to just sign up for their institute if you need to learn the Bible. And we'll help you. Come answer me questions. I'm not, sh- I'm not passing off my responsibilities. I just don't see the need to go out and do something. Why? God's coming pretty soon anyways. Why would we let the devil wear us out? That's his trick. You ought to be able to enjoy your Christian life a little bit. I just say this. Give God a blank check. And tell God you'll go anywhere and do anything God calls you to do. And then prepare and get ready. And then when God calls you, you step up, you salute, you say yes sir and you go. No matter where that is, you go. And if God's in it, he'll send you. You don't have to worry about it. All right, 25, right? We're still in 25. He's going to come wear out the saints and think to change times and laws. And they shall be given into his hand until a time, times, and dividing a time. You see that? What is that? It's three and a half. But the judgment shall sit, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and to destroy unto the, the end. Matthew 25, 13. There's a connection between this beast and the end times. I'm sorry, Matthew 24. I think I just said 25. Matthew 24, 13. Now, we don't have time to run all this thing through. You can look back and see the context, right? Many Christ coming, wars and rumors of wars. Uh, kingdoms against kingdoms, famines, diverse places, beginning of sorrows, right? You get the context. The context here is undoubtedly the tribulation period. Look at verse 13. But he that shall endure unto thee, the same shall be saved. That's why some people believe that if you get saved by grace through faith, you have to endure to keep your salvation. They're misapplying verses that actually apply to somebody in the future in the tribulation period, and they're applying it to this dispensation. That doesn't apply now. You're saved by grace through faith, and you're kept by the blood of Jesus Christ, by the sealing of the Spirit of God. Now, if you want to do right, you ought to do right. You understand what I'm saying? If you don't do right, your Heavenly Father, once you're saved, will chastise you. You do right after you're saved because you want to, because you love Him, because you don't want to grieve Him, because you want to lay up an inheritance, and because He'll judge you when you don't. God will judge you, saved person. You young people need to understand that. You don't get away with stuff. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. You're not going to get away with it. God will judge His people. But we don't serve God because we're trying to keep our salvation. We serve Him because we fear Him, yes. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But perfect love casteth out fear because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. So as you grow in the Lord, you ought to get to a point where you're serving Him just because you love Him. You just want to. You're not trying to keep your salvation. I don't like grieving Him. I hate it. I hate it. I hate who I am. I hate what I am. I hate how miserable I am when I push back against the Spirit of God and grieve Him and do stuff and live in a way that He don't like and He's vexed and grieved and I quenched and I, I hate how I feel, how I think. I, it doesn't matter how sunny the day is. It doesn't matter what's going on, all the blessings in life. When you're miserable inside because you're grieving the Spirit of God, that's a miserable way to live. I, I want to be right with God. I'm happier that way. Go to Hebrews chapter 3. Verse 14, I'm showing you the end is what I want you to see. We're talking about enduring to the end. This beast is associated with the king, he's associated with kingdoms, and he is associated with the end times. 
For we are made partakers, Hebrews 3.14, of Christ. If we hold fast the beginning of our confidence, steadfast unto what? Oh, you're in the book of what? To the church in, in Hebrew? <laughs> Hebrews is not to the church. It's to the Jews in a tribulation time, which is the time we're looking at in Revelation chapter 13. And he's telling them that they better hold fast their confidence unto the end. Steadfast to the end. Why? Because if they don't, if they receive the mark, which we'll probably get to next week, we're going to wrap it up for tonight. Go back to Revelation 13, please. But if they receive that mark, they can lose their salvation. And what you're going to see about that mark is that if they take that, if they don't take it, they can't eat. They can't buy, they can't sell, they can't eat. So they're warned over and over again in the passages that apply to them to endure to the end. And God made that time short because God knew they couldn't sustain 10, 15, 20 years of that. It's a short period of time. So God's fair to say, listen, grit it out for a couple of years. And I'll feed you. Run for safety and I'll take care of you. And don't bow to the image of the beast and don't, don't worship his image. Don't kiss him. Now, I'm going to show you in the next couple of weeks the connection that that thing has. And it's probably going to offend some people. And I promise you, I'm not trying to be offensive. So please don't get your feelings hurt. Please listen to the truth and let me show you some of the stuff I'm going to show you about this Mark and about this man and about his religion and how he's going to present it and how that spirit's already here and manifests itself, but people can't see it. Now, we'll, we'll lay a little tiny foundation for it in the next couple minutes here in verse 2. All right, so this beast comes up out of the sea. He's very similar to the dragon, but he's not a dragon. Upon his heads are the names of blasphemy, so it's different. And he has seven heads, ten, ten horns, and crowns on the ten horn, uh, on the, on, and yeah, and ten crowns on the ten horns. Now look at verse two. I told you we wouldn't get far, right? <laughs> and the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. Notice it's not the dragon, because the second part of that verse, and the dragon gave him his power and his seat, and great authority. You're not dealing with the dragon right now. You're dealing with something that the dragon is inspiring, something that the dragon's given power to. You're dealing with the Antichrist. What you're going to see by the time we get done with Revelation 13 is the unholy trinity. He copycats everything God does, and he presents himself as three in one, and that's why it's kind of hard to decipher sometimes. It gets a little blurry. But you've got to understand, I think I've taught you a lot recently about how he works, how he copycats God, how he's trying to be like the Most High in every way he can, and he presents himself as three in one. So what you've got here is the Antichrist. This beach is like unto a leopard. You know what he is? He's integrated, unified. Well, what's a leopard? A leopard's got a white belly, and it's got yellow base, and it's got black spots. He's unified. You know what you've got nowadays? You've got this all, we all got to come together. We're all one. No, we're not. you got the one world government. Well, where do you find that in the Bible? Actually, what you find in the Bible is when they all got together and got unified, God busted them up. Yeah. You remember that? Yeah. God said, uh-uh, we ain't letting this happen. You all don't need to be all together. How many, how many times you guys hear this, like, this modern-day thing about, like, you know, like, we're all one. It's, it's a big, what's the phrase? Anybody remember the phrase? It's a new phrase out there right now. It's a new age thing about, it's, it's inclusiveness. It's, it's not yet, like, no, no diversity allowed. Coexist. 
right? All that kind of stuff. That's we're all in this together. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a it's a modern spirit of like, well, we're all in the same. No, we're not. You're on the same page with the Muslims. I didn't say I hate the Muslims. Do you? No, not at all. We want to see them saved, don't we? We're praying for them right now over in Morocco. Right? Absolutely. Are you on the same page as them? They're anti-Christ. They say they're not, but they are. Because they say Allah had no son. That's not, that's not what we believe about Jesus Christ. We believe he's the son of God. And we believe he is God. So if you don't believe that, you and I aren't on the same page. You realize you can't be on the same page with everybody nowadays. Or you have to deny the truth of the Bible. Right. Funny to me, I'll be friends with people that don't even love God, love the Bible, anything like that. I'll be kind to them. I'll befriend them. I'll, I'll try to help them. As long as they're going to be willing to let me help them God's way, I'll try to help them. They find out what I'm about and they want nothing to do with me. Right. Yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Time out, bro. Wait a second. I thought we were all one. I thought everything's cool. I thought we were unified. So no, I don't want to drink with you and I don't want to dope with you and I don't want to laugh at your dirty jokes and I don't want to talk about the things you want to talk about. How come you can't be my friend anymore? You ever notice that? It's a lying spirit. It's a spirit of Antichrist. He's a leopard and he's got the feet of a bear and he's got the mouth of a lion. You know what all three of those things have in common? You know what all three of those things do? They all three mark trees. They reach up as high as they can and they scratch those trees and mark their territory by marking trees. You know what the trees are likened to in the Bible? Men. Not in, ain't that wild? You see the Bible so boring, isn't it? It's just a boring book. It's not relevant. Ain't that wild? They want to mark men. And you're looking at the mark of the beast coming up. But the beast is a man. And he's got a kingdom. And he's connected with the time of the end. And he's a cat. He's a cat that believes in unification. A cat that believes in unifying, being universal, and has a we're all one mentality. Anybody catching up yet? Yes, sir. I'm telling you, you're going to know exactly who the Antichrist is going to be. And I'll show you as we go on, it's the Pope. That's the one, that the king that the devil's going to inspire, the king that the devil's going to use. He's the man of sin. He's a cat. The only, one of the only religions, the only Christian religion, at least, with cat in it. Catholic. You pronounce it Catholic. But you break the thing down, it's catholic. You know what cat means, uh, a holic has a meaning. It means an addiction or abnormal desire. It has to do with being wholly given to something. You know what Catholic meaning is? It means including a wide variety, all-embracing, universal. The universal church. The all-embracing church. Has anybody noticed the direction that the Roman Catholic Church is going and the popes are going right now? They're, 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 they're playing kissy face with Islam. Well, we're all trying to get to the same place. That cannot be of God. It is not possible. If that's where the truth was from the beginning, because it's the oldest church and all the rest of the stuff that they claim, if, that they claim, if that's the truth, how come the truth changed? Because they keep changing. 
Why is it they used to not believe in homosexual marriage, but now all of a sudden they say it's okay? Now, hang on a second. Did God change his mind? So how are they changing? Obviously, there's a different spirit running the show, and it ain't the spirit of God from the Bible. Obviously. So it's a very scary thing. All right, so he's got a seat and great authority. We'll close, look back at Revelation chapter 2.13, and we'll pick it up here next week, and I'll give you more explanations. Listen, I'm half Irish on one side, or mostly Irish. I think they're Irish and Scotch, and then God only knows what all else. You know how it is with us Americans. We all think we're something, and we find out we're 47,000 things that we didn't know we were. But they're mostly Irish and Scotch on one side, and then the other sides, uh, uh, we're pretty sure they're 100% Italian. <laughs> So I'm half Italian, not my parents. My dad got saved at 20 years old, led my mom to Christ, wound up leading his parents to Christ, his three brothers, his sister, their spouses, my mom's parents, her two brothers, their spouse, her older brother's spouse, the other younger brother never got married. My dad wound up leading them all to Christ. They all wound up getting saved eventually. It took a long time to get grandma and grandpa on the Italian side. But thank God for that, right? My grandparents were all Roman Catholic. I don't hate Catholics. There's a lot of Catholic people that are good people that have been deceived by the Catholic Church. I hate the doctrine. I hate a doctrine that messes people's minds up and keeps them coming, hoping to get the money out of them and who hope your good works are going to outweigh your bad works and we think maybe you're going to make it and your, lo- your lost loved one it might be in purgatory, so come give some money. And every time a coin in the coffer springs, a soul from clings, a soul from purgatory springs, and all the stuff they've done over the centuries, if you knew how dark and evil that place was and what they did to manipulate people with no biblical authority for it whatsoever, you'd hate the doctrine too. It doesn't mean I hate Catholics. I want to see him saved. I want to give him truth from the Bible, answer Bible questions. But when anything with two heads is a freak, how many heads this dragon got? How many heads the beast got? You know what it is? It's multiple authorities. You can't have, the Muslims will tell you the Quran's the Bible and the Word of God's the Bible. They're both holy books. Did you know that? Did you know the Muslims will tell you the Bible's a holy book? What they mean is, when you nail them down, is only the words of Jesus Christ. And then they say the words of Jesus Christ aren't true and he didn't mean what he said. They got two authorities. The Mormons got two authorities. They got the Bible and the Book of Mormon. The JW's got two authorities. They got the New World Translation and the Watchtower. The Roman Catholic Church has two authorities. They got supposedly their Bible and then they got their, their traditions of their fathers and the things that the priest tells them and the Pope tells them. When he sits ex-cathedral, we'll get to that in a little bit, speaking as God on earth. Lucifer, he's going to, Antichrist is going to sit in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. And they're warmed up, primed, and ready because they believe when he sits and speaks, he's God on earth. All he's going to do is start showing them signs and wonders to prove he's God in the tribulation period. It's wild, ain't it? You got one authority. Did you hear me? That's our authority. If Pastor Reagan says something that goes against this book, Pastor Reagan's wrong. And we believe that book because that book tells us about our Savior. We are born again, not a corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the Word of God. If I led you to Christ, what did I do? I opened up the Bible and I took you verse to verse to verse. And then I said, God, any questions? And that meant any questions about anything? Ask. And I gave you a Bible answer to your questions. That's the authority. Nothing else. All right, Revelation 2, 13, right? 
I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. Well, did you see that in 13.2? The dragon gave him power and his seat and great authority, even where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith, even in those days where an animus was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. He's got a seat. And in 13.2, the dragon gives power to the beast, and he gives him a seat, and he gives him great authority. So we've pretty well nailed down this thing is aquatic. This thing's got tremendous pride and tremendous power. Only God can stop him, and you can't. And then he comes, he's got a, he's got a man that, he, that represents him, he's got a kingdom that represents him, he's connected with the end times. And he sits down on a seat with great authority and speaks great swelling words against God. What you're looking at in Revelation 13 is the beast. You're looking at the Antichrist. And uh, we'll pick it up here next week, and I'll give you some more. I think we'll make more timing as we go down through the chapter, so we won't be in this chapter for you know a year or nothing. So, all right. So we'll go ahead and stop there for tonight. I want to leave you on this note. Think about this morning's message. You got an adversary, the devil, that walketh about as a roaring. The beast, feet of a bear in the mouth of a seeking whom he may devour. And he wants to do it through your pride. And your pride will get you to resist what God tells you and to refuse to change your theology or change your doctrine no matter what the Bible says. And the more you go down that road, the more rebellious you get, and the more stubborn you get, and the more you run smack into the judgment of God and it wrecks your life up. God gave you this book so you can know God's will and submit to God. And if you submit to God, what happens when you do? You're safe. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Your safety is in humbling yourself under the hand of God and saying, God, my life ain't my own. I don't care what I think or how I feel about nothing. I'm yours. And I promise you, God, I'll give you my life, and I'll follow you. Help me. Man, if you'll do that, folks, you'll be safe. You'll be safe. All right, let's go ahead and pray, and we'll be dismissed.